Across America, people in church celebrating Father's Day, but no other church has a sippy cups doing this dad of mine. Was that awesome? If you're a dad at whatever campus, go ahead and stand up. All of our dad, come on, go ahead. All of our dads, come on, guys, give them a hand. Woo! Go ahead, sit down. We love us some dads. I love Father's Day. The green egg will be fired up in a minute. There's a big ribeye ready to be sliced up in my house. I love a Father's Day. Now, Father's Day and Mother's Day, it, it's hard for some people. Matter of fact, we have a lot of folks who are committed, part of Faith Promise, but they do not come on Mother's Day or Father's Day. Maybe because their past was not great with their parents, or maybe because they want kids that don't have them, want to be a mom or dad, or for whatever reason, Father's Day is a difficult day. Well, the Bible says that God is the father to the fatherless, and he is the husband to the widow. And God, listen, it is his day. Well, there are several holidays I get up early, because usually on Sunday morning I don't get up early, because I have a, a, some, a couple things I do early in the morning here. And, but on a, like Easter and Father's Day, I get up. So this morning I got up early, went back on my back deck, and I got my journal and a cup of coffee, and I wrote my Heavenly Father a Father's Day card. Because I just want you to know that I love God more than anything. Faith Promise, do we love our Heavenly Father? Happy Father's Day, God. Now we're going to do something new. Now you hear that all the time because we're always changing it, moving it, grooving it, doing different things. But we're going to launch this week in Father's Day a three-week series called Man Up about how to be a godly man. Now in the church all across America and even here, if we took 10 men out of our congregation said, tell us what a godly man is, we'd have 10 different definitions. So we have all these different kind of ideas about what a godly man is. Now, even though many men with us this weekend at all of our seven campuses, many men love the Lord and are Christ followers, yet there are a lot of guys looking in the wrong mirror to find the way to be a godly man, a model of a godly man. Would y'all agree with that? See, we, we look at all kind of places about, okay, what is a man supposed to be like? Many of us look primarily to our past. If we had a dad or an uncle or a coach or a youth pastor or a teacher, some man who had an impact, they may or may not have been saved. And we look at that model and we say, that's the kind of guy that I want to be. Some people look to Hollywood, not a great place to look. Other people look to sports heroes. Uh, few look, even though many of us are committed Christ followers, if we were to get this gut level on us, few of us look to the Word of God to find our way. And the Bible says that this is a mirror, and we daily look in the mirror to find out what we look like and what God wants to do in our life. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And so we don't go by what we feel or what our past is. We fly by faith, which we look and see what the Word of God says. Psalms 119.105 said this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. And so with the Word of God, it teaches us how we're to walk, and it teaches us what a godly man is all about. Let me tell you one thing about godly men. If you're listening, say I am. Godly men know how to swing the sword. This is the sword. Godly men know how to handle the weapon. Dad, this is your primary offensive weapon there too. Praying in the Spirit, 
which connect him with God, and two, the Word of God. These are the two primary offensive weapons to protect your marriage if you have one. If you have kids, to protect your kids, this is the sword. In Matthew 4, when Jesus faced down the devil in the wilderness, all three attacks the enemy launched against our Lord, he drew the sword and he swung the sword and he won every single battle. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, to study, to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling or rightly dividing the Word of God. So listen, I don't know where you are with the Bible. Maybe you're with us this weekend, you're not even yet a believer. Maybe you've never cracked the the pages of the Word. I want to challenge you. Whether you're a biblical scholar or a first-time Bible reader, men, get in the Word. Now, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, when you first start reading the Bible, it is a difficult thing. If you had never held a hammer or a skill saw and you decided to build a house, it would be difficult to start, wouldn't it? You don't even know how to drive a nail. It would just be, it would be hard. And so when you start, it's difficult, and most men give up because they don't have a foundation. I don't challenge you. Get in the Word. Does that make sense? Learn how to accurately handle the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6. We're going to do a series later this summer on spiritual warfare. We're going to come out of Ephesians chapter 6. You've got to know how to use your sword. Let me give you a thought, and this is sort of where this message is, is wrapped up in, so I want you to get this. So if you're listening, say, I am. Men, you will pass something along. If you have kids, you're going to pass something along to your kids. So my, my challenge to you is make it a deliberate, willful decision. Don't do it by default. Too many of us don't think about what we are leaving. So I want to challenge you. Leave something for your kids that's valuable. Oh, well, hey, son. How was practice? Son, you all right? What happened? The kids kept making fun of me. They kept making fun of you? About what? The coach said I had bad form and somebody was teaching me the wrong technique. Huh. Here comes the pepper! So, man, what kind of legacy are you leaving? You know, some of us, what we'll leave is we'll leave how to kick a ball, how to, how to shoot a free throw, how to throw a touchdown pass, how to score a try or a goal, how to make the team, and all that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you, the most important thing to leave is a godly legacy. If your kid is, is all-American, all-pro, but he does not know Jesus, then your kid has failed. Are you with me? 
We prepare them for school. We prepare them for the world. But we've got to prepare them for eternity. I have two boys, and both of them were athletes. They played football. They played rugby. Uh, they played all the sports, and I didn't teach them anything because I have two left feet. Man, I, I can't walk and chew bubble gum. There was no problem finding men to teach my sons how to play football and how to play rugby. What I did teach my boys was how to be godly men. I taught them how to read the Word. I taught them what was most important. I went to the games. I cheered them on. I just, I just sucked, and so there wasn't anything I could do for them. And so it is, what kind of legacy are you leaving? Now, guys, I want to give you one line. This is, this is not biblical, but this is good. I want you to hear this. This is the deal. What you're living is what you're leaving. What you are living is what you are leaving. Because what you are doing speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. It's like having a Marlboro in your mouth and telling your kids not to smoke. You might as well save your breath because they don't hear you. All they do is see you. Now, I tell you what, we got some godly dads in this congregation. We have got some godly men, and I am grateful. We've got young adults on our staff that I watch grow up in this church. I watched a man learn, and they learn from their dad, and they learn from ministries here. And today, they serve the Lord, their vocational ministry out of this. Because let me tell you, what we need, kids need, is role models. Now, if you did not have a godly role model, a godly man growing up, and many of us did not have that role model. Listen, it doesn't mean you're out, there's no hope for you. It means that you need a model. If so, if you didn't have it, you need one. This is one of the thousand reasons why being involved in a group at Faith Promise Church is so vital for victory in your spiritual walk. Now, last week I sent you a survey. A few thousand of you responded. Some have not I want to challenge you to, to do the survey, send it in as we continue to try to expand our group's ministry and have a place for more people to connect and learn. It's just huge. Now, last week I gave a plea for, for people that would like to potentially lead a group, and we had, I don't know, 60 or 70 people that couples or individuals say, hey, I'll lead a group. And, man, listen, God may have spoke to you last week and you didn't respond. When this service is over, go to our Next Steps area. After every service, Next Steps is always staffed with pastors. They'll give you a leader packet and tell you what it's all about. So when this service is over, you can go. But let me tell you what we saw. There are a lot of couples, but most of the individuals that came to lead a group were women and not men. Are you with me? Women and not men. And what we, that what we need is role models. So we need men to step in there. Now, as a Christ follower, Jesus is our model, right? He's our example. He's our model. But let me tell you what we need. We need living, breathing people who are going through day-to-day experiences, we need to see how they handle when the crap storm happens. We need to see how they live, how they walk, and how they breathe. So men, we need godly men. We need men to learn to emulate how they act, how they walk, and how they talk. The Apostle Paul told Timothy and other younger men that he was raising up, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you act like me, you'll be like Jesus. And that's a bold statement. But that's the deal. We need to find godly men, if we don't already have them, and learn to emulate them. Men, we need role models because we people do what people see. So in this series, we are going to attempt to paint a picture of what a godly man is all about. Ladies, y'all good with that? Now let me tell you what, let me tell you the cool, it was just so funny. 
In creating a weekend, there are a lot of teams, a lot of people that work on, you know, that work on videos and that work on ideas and creative stuff. And you'd be shocked if you knew how much time went into a weekend at Faith Promise. But two of the creative teams that, that I was working with, we were talking about this series, all the guys said this when we talked about a man series, but what about the women? I mean, for three weeks, what about the women? Not one female on the team ever said a word. Because the women want the guys to be godly. Amen, ladies? Come on. Man, go ahead, look at that guy next to you. Say, hey, chump, he is talking to you. And so, you know, we need to, we need to get this deal. And so what, what, we need godly men. If we're going to have a strong church, we've got to have godly men. And let me tell you, a lot of people that come to this church, even children, do not come out of a godly home. And so one of the things that even we need in our preschool and children's ministry, listen, if you're listening, I am. We need men to be involved. Because let me tell you what children's ministry ends up being. Run by women, for, de- designed for girls. That's why a lot of you quit going when you were in about the third grade. You said, hey, I'm done with glitter. <laughs> Give me a gun, a sword. If I'm going to make something, I mean, I'm going to hit somebody with something. Are you with me? And so you quit going to children's ministry. We need men in children's ministry in preschool. Roger Everson, one of our elders, goes to this. He has been serving in children's ministry for 18 years in this congregation. Ron Noe, another elder, North Knoxville campus, serves with two-year-olds. He's been serving in a two-year-old ministry for 18 years. Clay Lincas, he goes to this campus, serves in kid rape. We need godly men to show these kids what the model is all about. Don't we? Come on. You, when this service is over, if you're a Pellissippi, you can go to the children's ministry over there, and you can sign up and, and get to get plugged in. It's time for men to get in the game. So guys, let me ask you a question. Are you leading your family to love, to honor, to serve, to seek God more than they seek anything else? You say, well, I'm not sure. Ask your kids. They'll tell you. Because, see, your kids already know, Dad, what's most important to you. It's not what you say, it's what you do. So is it goals? Is it grades? Is it gold? Or is it God? Your kids know. We can do better than Beavis and Butthead. Can't we? I mean, we can do, we can do better role models than that. See, our kids need to see us seeking after God. Listen, at Faith Promise, the most radical worshipers ought to be men. The men ought to be on the front row. They ought to hands up, waving, cheering, celebrating. Amen? Come on. That ought to be the radical worshipers loving God. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because women are a little, they're noticing everybody else around them. Nails, clothes, everything. We guys don't care. Obviously, look at how you came to church dressed. You know, we don't care. I took last night's service, my, dad, my son, Micah, said, Dad, what kind of shirt are you wearing? I said, obviously, you have no fashion statement, son. This is a quality summer shirt. It's one of my favorite shirts. Get out of my face, or I will kill you and make another one look just like you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, men? See, wait, listen, you see, I'm going to tell you how I know men don't care what people think. I went to see Superman this weekend. What a great movie. Listen, all the men that came were dressed like Superman. They didn't care what people thought. 
Listen, if you, go, if you go to a movie and you dress like a character, you don't care what people think. We were getting ready to go. Michelle said, Chris, you want a Superman shirt? I said, I don't own a Superman shirt. I'm not wearing a Superman shirt. It's like going to Star Wars dressed as a Wookiee. I'm not doing it. She said, oh, come on. I said, I don't own a shirt. She said, I bless you. You go in the bedroom. I am not going to a movie. And then I go, I go with some of our muscle guys, my son and some bodybuilders. And man, those guys made that Superman shirt look good. They had bulges. I got bulges. It's just the wrong spot. So I did not wear a Superman shirt. But see, men don't care what people think, so we ought to be the lavish, extravagant worshipers. That makes sense. Now, let me tell you something about dads. I want to show you how important the role model of godly men are. You go anywhere on this globe to any city in the world, the worst city, and what makes them worse? Lack of education, high uh, poverty, high violent crime, all the, all the kind of things that how you judge a city. And let me tell you something, the worse the city, the fewer the dads. Go to inner city in America. Let me tell you, the worse the city, the fewer the men are in the homes. It's just the way it is. It, it, there's, there's simply no way around that. You look at some of the, African, the numbers of the African-American families of kids born out w- without a man in the house. The numbers are staggering. And it's just increasing, whether it's, whether it's minority, whether it's Caucasian, it doesn't matter. It is growing every year, the number of boys and girls born without a man in the home. And let me tell you what we're experiencing. We're experiencing what the Bible calls the curse of fatherlessness. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And this is the last time that God is going to speak for four centuries. If you were going to say something and not talk for 400 years, would it be important? This is, what, this is how God, this is the last sentence, and for 400 years he doesn't speak until John the Baptist erupts on the scene. But I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore, listen, this is the most, look, look at what God says. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. See, that is, that, is, that is a mark of a godly church. That's a mark of a great city. Fathers in the homes taking care of their kids. It is the deal. For thousands of years, fathers raised kids, especially boys. For millennia, what happened was, whatever job you had, Dad, is what your boy was going to be. And so by the time he turned six, he didn't go to school. There no such thing as schools. He went to work with you. If you're a farmer, he was a farmer. If you're a cobbler, he was a cobbler. If you're a carpenter, he was a carpenter. If you're a chimney sweep, he was a chimney sweep. And so the boys grew up with the dad, went to work with the dad, learned to be men. Then we had an industrial revolution. Then we started an education system. And instead of the boys hanging with the dad, now the boys go to school all day, and then they're with mom. And the dads are, even if a dad's in home, he's only in the picture a few hours a day. Does this make sense? Are you with me? And so now we have an America where over half the homes, there is not a man in the home. And we're experiencing the curse of fatherlessness. The worse the city, the fewer the dads. No way around it. There's a reason that gangs are exploding all around America because boys are looking for role models. Now, a young boy does not know the difference between a good role model and a bad role model. 
And so, but he's looking for a man because that's how we're wired. He's looking at connects on the inner city. It's going to be a gang. It could be some pimp. It could be some, some crack dealer. It could be some meth dealer. But they're looking for somebody, and they get involved in a gang, and they find out what does a real man do? Knocks up as many girls as he can knock up. He knocks over as many places as he can knock over. He's a fighter. He's carrying a piece. He's, I mean, he's just a bad dude. And that's what, that's what they believe a man is because that's the role models they go after. This is just the raw and the real. Are you with me, Faith Promise? That's just the, I mean, it's just the where it is. And because they're going to find a role model. Kids are looking for a role model. Again, this is why it's so important, guys, that you connect in our children and our student ministry. So many of the students that come here, their, their parents are, are separated or divorced or their parents don't go to church at all. And one hour a week, they need a small group leader that's a man that's going to pour some man stuff into them. Are you with me? Listen, this is the deal. See, the, the culture doesn't determine what a real man is. Christ does. The Word of God does. There's a reason that over 60% of all the adults in every campus this weekend on Father's Day are women. You know why? Because most of us, our dads didn't go to church, or if they did go to church, it wasn't very important. And when the, when I, when the kids get about, boys get about 16 or 17, they're gone. Why? Because it's not important to dad. It's not important to me. Are you with me? Not important to dad. Not important to me. This is the reason that women are excited about this series, because women want this. They want guys to be godly. They want men to raise up if they promise church. Even women who, have the, who are single mothers who are here are looking for men to help father their kids. I don't know how many. Uh, amen. Give the Lord praise. Come on. I don't know how many students I've watched grow up here in single mother homes that men adopted. Now, they didn't legally adopt him, but they just said, I'm going to raise this, this boy. I'm going to teach him how to be a man. I'm going to teach him. All across every one of our campuses, there are men that are looking to be role models. This, this makes sense. This is what we got to do, guys. Or we're, we'll always do what we've always done. We'll always get what we've always gotten. And so this is what we got to do because we'll follow the example of Samuel. Samuel was the greatest prophet priest in all of Israel and all the history. The Bible says to Samuel, not one word that Samuel ever spoke fell to the ground. And yet, let me tell you something about Samuel. His kids were rern. Now, if you're not from the South, you may not understand that word. R-U-U-N-T, rern. They were wicked raped women in the temple, stole the offering of God. They were horrible. They took bribes. They were terrible. How in the world could this godly guy have two rent children? Let me tell you how. Us Southerners get that rent. You other folks, you'll, you'll come on. So this is the deal. Samuel was, was a miracle child. And his mother told God, Hannah, if, you, Hannah, if you'll give me a son, when I wean him, I'll give him back to you. God gave her a son. It was Samuel. After he was about three or four, he was weaned. He was taken to the temple, and he was left by his mother. Once a year, she would come see him. He was given to Eli. She said, I'm the woman who prayed. God gave me a son. I promised God this son. He is going to serve God all of his life, and he did. Eli became the father figure for Samuel. Let me tell you something about Eli's kids. Sorry sacks. Rapist. Stole from God. Stole the offering. Raped women in the temple sound like Samuel's boys? Exactly the same. Why? Because Samuel did what Samuel saw. He raised his sons like he saw Eli raise his sons. 
People do what people see. Let me tell you, there's no way around it. Now, you say, but, but well, I'm a, I'm a single mom. God hardwired us, especially guys that were looking for a role model. When my kids were little, you know, mothers are advocates for their kids, right? When Michelle and I, you know, our kids were little, we never fought, but we had intense fellowship from time to time. And our intense fellowship surrounded one issue, the kids. Chris, you're too mean to the kids. You whip the kids too hard. You don't give them enough. She said, do you know that the kids are afraid to ask you for money? I said, is there a problem with that? <laughs> she said, I can't believe you. They don't even want to ask you for anything. I said, right. That's what we want. She couldn't believe that. She was, and so they're all about grade school. I said, Michelle, listen, you're always taking up for the kids. I know I'm mean. I got that. I, man, I'm, I like that. It's a spiritual gift. I said, but this is the deal. When our kids get to be in their late teens, all three of them are going to move, and they're going to care more about what I say than you say. I said, that's crazy. I said, no, 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 no. It's how they're wired. They started getting older, and they started saying, what does dad think? And she said, what do you mean, what does dad think? for you all your life. I fought your dad to get you money. I tried to get him to get, quit whipping you. I, man, I did all this. What about it? They focused on me. I said, nana, nana, boo, boo. I told you. <laughs> so you could have fun and beat him. Well, I beat him. We could have, you know, shared the strap, but no. See, this is the deal. God wires in us. We're looking for a role model. And when kids get older, they're looking for a man, especially men. Boys, young men are looking for a man, and so they're going to find one. Now, let me tell you about a humble, let me tell you about a godly man. Let me give you just a few things. A godly man is humble. A godly man's got no problem getting on his knees. See, a godly, problem has, a godly man has no problem understanding his need for Jesus, that he can't do it by himself, that he needs a Savior, that he needs forgiveness. That is no problem. A, a humble man understands his strength and his wisdom doesn't flow from him. It flows to him from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, Real men are afraid. That ain't no big deal. We just do it anyway. Amen? We just do it anyway. We move forward anyway. Real men love God and love people. Real men sacrifice for their families and for the kingdom. Real men love. Real men aren't afraid to cry. Man, we go to a movie, all three of my kids, look, is dad crying yet? It's embarrassing. So, but, but that's it. See, real men aren't afraid to expose their heart like King David. He worshiped in front of everyone. He wasn't afraid to confess his sin. He wasn't afraid to be open and honest. Real men are not afraid to say, I'm sorry. Real men got no problem going public for Jesus in an anti-Jesus culture, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and his salvation. Man, they're not afraid to go public. You saw baptisms, a boatload of them, this service already. Real men are not afraid to stoop down and serve. See, because insecure people can't serve. But Jesus, the most secure, strongest man in the room, was the one that washed the feet nobody else would wash. Why? Because the Bible said he knew who he was and he knew where he was going. He was secure enough, he was strong enough that he could serve. He said, I'm not among you as one that is served, but I, came to, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. See, real strength and security flow from God, and people that are really strong and secure don't have any problem serving. Does that make sense? Come on. 
That's why men ought to be leading the charge across every campus, across every ministry, preschool, children, middle school, senior high, and groups that ought to be leading, ought to be opening up homes, ought to be leading, man. We need men. Now, listen, not to minimize women. We wouldn't even have a church if it wasn't for women. But this is not Mother's Day. It's Father's Day. Now, I don't know why Mother's Day, she's the queen, and Father's Day, we're Archie Bunker. Maybe that's our own arts. I'm not sure quite, quite why that happens like that, but this is the deal, guys. I want to ask you a question. Man to man, mano we mano, me and you, are you saved? Is Jesus Christ living in your heart? Is he Lord of your life? Are you just religious and stop by church every now and then to check your, to check your religious box? Or does Jesus Christ live in your heart, and is he Lord of your life? Where are you at spiritually, guys? Come on. What's the deal? At every campus, all across Faith Promise Global, all seven of our campus, there are men at every campus that are lost this, this weekend. Y'all believe that? So right now, guys, God's Spirit's tugging on your heart. He's talking to you. I want to give you a chance right now to give your heart to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Church, I want you to pray with me aloud this sinner's prayer. I know that, that you're already born again, but let's pray it with these folks who are opening their heart up. Say, Dear Jesus, Forgive me of my sins. I confess you as my Lord. Come into my heart. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the grave. Now I want to be a real man. I want to be God's man. And so I give you my life. Do with it as you will. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Come on, give him some praise in the houses. Wow. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and you gave your heart to Jesus, I want you to take your communication card in front of you, fill it out, drop the offering box, and we'll be in touch with you before this week is out. We'll, we'll, we're going to put a, put a phone number that you answer, and, man, we're going to help you take the next step and, man, be God's man. Now. Since most of us men are professing believers, I want to give you a challenge. I want to give you a, a challenge that most of you have never had. This is the deal. I want to challenge you to become a bond slave of God today. If you read the New Testament, and even in the Older Testament, there in the Greek it's called a doulos, D-U-L-O-S, it's translated bond servant or bond slave, depending upon your translation. This is what a bond slave is. See, when we think of when we think of slavery, we think of American past and we think of all the horrors of going to Africa and stealing people and all the just the heinous crimes that went with that. That's not what was going on in what I'm talking about. In biblical days, it was an economic way out. If you got in a bind, you couldn't provide, you couldn't, they, they, there was nothing you could do. They didn't have they didn't have any government programs. They didn't have anything. So what, what a, a person would do is they would go to a business owner or a farmer, and they would say, I want to sell my, my services to you for a certain number of years. They'd get them out of debt. They'd pay whatever price was, 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 was you know, decided on, and they would serve that, that master for X many years. At the end of the years, let's say seven at the end of seven years, if the servant loved the master and did not want to leave, he would go to the master and say, I know that my time of servitude is up, that you paid me and my, and, and my time is up. I don't want to leave you. I now want to become your bond slave. I want to be your bond servant. I want to be yours forever. It happened on a regular basis. 
the owner and the servant would go to the temple. They would request a priest. They would sit down with the priest, and the bond servant would say, I've served the master for seven years. My servitude is over. I've decided I want to become his forever. And, the, and so what would happen is the priest would take the bond servant. They would agree. The master and the servant would agree. They'd take him to the outside, to the door of the temple. They would take a hammer and an awl or a, a spike, a pick, and they would put the earlobe of the bond slave against the wood, and they would drive an awl into the earlobe. You say, oh, that sounds horrible. Good. Look at all the piercings. Matter of fact, we have bigger holes now than they had back then. And so, and, and so the, the bond slave would be marked now as property of the master. The master's job was to provide, protect, and care for the now bond servant. The bond servant's job was to please the master. Does that make sense? When you are saved, the same deal happens. You rescind all your rights and privileges. You confess Jesus as your Lord, and it is now your job to please him. Is that right? Is that right? So you were to please him. Then what happens? It's his job to provide and protect us. He takes care of us. Now, this is the deal, guys. we got a lot of guys that play footsie with God. Come on, let's be real. God doesn't play games. God doesn't. God plays for keeps. And so I'm going to give you a chance in just 30 seconds to stand up, guys. Some of you guys have already sold out to the Lord. This is not for you. You've already sold out. You don't have to stand. But don't stand and play games because God doesn't play games. And Ananias and Sapphira lied to God about the offering. He struck them dead at the altar. So God doesn't play games. But if you're here, you're a young man or you're a man, and you say, I want to be a bondservant of God. I want to commit my life to serving and honoring him no matter where I am, no matter what's going on. I want to become his doulos. I want to be his bondservant. At every campus, I want to ask you right now, just stand. Right where you are, just stand. Don't play games. Don't listen, don't. But if you mean it, just go ahead and stand right now, guys. Just stand up. Come on. Okay. The guys, stay standing. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Say, dear God, I rescind my rights. I rescind my privileges. I am now your doulos. I'm your bondservant. My job in life is to put a smile on your face. And I know you'll take care of me as I serve you. Now, God, I pray for these men. I pray there's a heart transformation. I pray as the priest marked the man at the door of the temple that these men will be marked by the Holy Ghost, that they will be filled, they will be thrilled, they will be challenged, and they will be changed. I pray their family sees it, their neighbors see it, their coworkers see it. I pray that they are used in glory and power. I pray that you move in a radical, supernatural way. God, these guys are giving themselves to you, and I pray you show up in Ezekiel 37, breathe on them, and move in power. We believe it, we receive it, and in Jesus' name we pray it. And all God's people said, come on, give him some praise in the house. Man, that'll make a difference. That'll make a difference. And so we're going to, FPTV's about to come up. Service will be over when the, when the video is done. But listen, if you've got time, fill out the communication cards. 
If you, know, if you gave your heart to Jesus, you need to be baptized or sign up for next steps. If you want to serve children's ministry, you can go over there and they're at the table. You can sign up and they'll start the process. If you say, hey, I might like to serve in groups ministry, you can go out to our next steps. There's people out there. There are always people out there before and after every service. There are always pastors after every service. So listen, if you're sitting by somebody that's new from now on and, and they say, you know, hey, I'm new. What, what's the next step? Take them to next steps. Just have service. Say, hey, let me show you where some people can answer your questions. Just take them out. Say, hey, this is Fred and Sally. This is their third weekend. They're wondering what's next. And somebody out there, will be, they'll just be there to help them. That's just how we're trying to help people continue to take the next step. Guys, we love you. Has it been good to be in God's house? Give him praise. We'll be done after FPTV.